2019, the Devils selected Jack Hughes with the number one pick. Who will it be this time around? All eyes are on Alexi Lafreniere, the power forward who scored 48 goals in the QMJHL before even turning 17 years old. Lafreniere took the World Junior Championship by storm this past winter, earning MVP honors as he helped lead Canada to a gold medal. This year, he led all CHL skaters in points per game. His 2.15 average was the highest in the queue since Jonathan Drouin in 2013-14. If Lavrenier is chosen first, he would be the first Quebecois player to go number one overall since Pittsburgh chose Marc-Andre Fleury with the top pick back in 2003. It is now time to see who the winning team is. The first selection in the 2020 NHL draft belongs to the New York Rangers. Wow, there it is. The New York Rangers have won the 2020 NHL draft lottery. Looking for Taves down low, then Kubelik joins. Right to the middle, Kubelik could not pull the trigger. Good stick there, Athanasiu. And Bear working against Taves, who won the puck, it's out, he's going, Jonathan Taves! Outward Ethan Bear and Kubelik, bang! The Hawks with the lead! Broken up by Kent, he tries to get it out, what a play, Nurse to keep it alive! Neal to Nurse, the shot, he fired it wide! Hawks win! Hawks win! The Chicago Blackhawks have won a series for the first time since the Stanley Cup Championship! There's Boone Jenner, got a million chances, finally scored in the last game. Dan Felino, Nyquist out against Nylander's line. Lorenski shoots, he scores! This Lorenski just pulling it, and quick shot through, oh it did hit, it hit the hands there of Barry, or in Texier in front. Get back to the blue line before Nyquist touched the puck in, and now Foodies, he got it on the throttle change, he takes the shot, he scores! Big shot by Frederick Anderson as the Maple Leafs were changing, and Liam Foodie has made this 2-0 Columbus. All by himself on the board, and he's got his first playoff goal. Seth Jones fell down, Kirkwood in front of him, and what a save by Corpusano. Great save on Andreas Janssen. I'm thinking the big saves are not just a neat and tidy goaltending performance. And on the move, it's Monaghan with Bennett over the line. Here's Sam Bennett trying to get it back. Can't get it to the net. Broken up by Morrissey. Monaghan got hit along the boards. That shot through. Rebound. Scores! Dylan Dupe! Sam Bennett's got it. Now Hannafin in the dying seconds. They're going to have time for a shot. To check in front. And it's loose in front. They score with .3 left in the period. It's Sam Bennett. And the first in a clinching game for the Flames, it's Mick and Kiprasov back in 2004. And the Calgary Flames have moved on from the qualifier. Hey, welcome to Tape to Tape, powered by Ram Motor Trend's back-to-back winner of Truck of the Year. I'm Ryan Dixon. I'm a writer at Sportsnet.ca. Joining me on the other line, as always, Sportsnet's NHL editor, Rory Boylan, Rory, you want to do five extra segments just for the hell of it? <laughs> I, I feel like we have to um, keep on that storyline. You know, uh, if if they can do it and they can play hockey doing it for that long, I think we can podcast for an extra 
five segments. Well, yeah, it's 11 a.m. right now on Wednesday. Can we <laughs> yeah. hold this up till like uh, dinner time? Well, we'll see. <laughs> we will do blow by blow of every team. We're, we're going to do close to that anyways. We're going to cover a lot in this pod. We are going to talk about the NHL playoffs, the actual playoffs. They are here. You and I are going to pick our final four, our final two, a cup winner. We're going to talk about the three Canadian teams that have made it through to the main draw, Montreal, Calgary, and Vancouver. We're also going to talk about the New York Rangers winning the first overall pick in the 2020 draft lottery. The Jets, Leafs, and Oilers all ousted in the qualifying round. We're going to take a look at those teams. Not so much relive what happened in their series so much as cast forward a little bit. And I think we have to talk about the Pittsburgh Penguins because that's a team that has now won one playoff game the past two years. I mean, Sidney Crosby himself saying it, it's, uh, you know, the shadows are getting a little long out there a bit as he turns 33, Malkin 34. So we've got to address uh, what is next for one of the most prominent teams of the past 15 years in the NHL. But let's start with uh, one of the more prominent teams for decades and decades in the NHL, the original six New York Rangers, one year after getting some lottery luck and moving up to pick number two, boom. The Rangers land the first overall pick. It will be Alexis Lafreniere. You can put it on the board. They are now really strong on the wings with Artemi Panarin, with Cabo Caco, uh, and with Lafreniere. Um, I don't know. Have we seen a, a reboot, a retool go as well as the Rangers has the past two or three years? I mean, no. Not, not how quickly they were able to do it. It was just two years ago that they sent out that famous letter to their fans just before the trade deadline, which is kind of bracing them for, okay, we're going to start selling now. We're going to start taking a step back and rebuild this thing a little bit. And it didn't take very long. Now you look at the Rangers with Lafreniere. And I mean, even without him, they were trending in a really positive direction, a top five offensive team this year. They found uh, the goal or the goalie who is going to re replace Lungfist arrived um, and looked fantastic. Um, you know, they're talking about moving ahead with two goalies next year. So that's going to be an interesting storyline to follow is what they do with Lundqvist. But, um, you know, at this year's trade deadline, instead of just always selling and selling and selling, they were able to re-sign Chris Kreider and keep him there. And now you look at their left wing depth. I mean, wing depth is great, but left wing depth, you got Lafreniere, Panarin, and, and Kreider. Uh, that's that's incredible depth on that side of things. Um, and then you've got just a ton of exciting young guys. I mean, we didn't see a lot from Capo Caco this year, the, the second overall pick in last year's draft. But, you know, I'm definitely not going to sit here and say he's a bust. I would expect him to just get better as we go along. Um you know, on defense, Adam Fox had a he had over 40 points this year. And in some years, he might have gotten a Calder final nod, finalist nod. But there was there were a lot of really good candidates uh, for that this year. So we flew a little bit under the radar. Um, you wonder, uh, you know, the only question maybe about going forward is, do they end up in a spot kind of like the Maple Leafs where they've got all of this talent up front and a goalie they can count on? But that defense is going to need a little bit of work. I mean, you've got Fox, but you wonder about Anthony D'Angelo, Tony D'Angelo. He's in RFA this year, and he's a pretty big liability on, on defense. He brings some offense to his game. But Mark Stahl is getting older. He's 33. 
Um, you know, and then you've got some depth there. Like Brennan Smith is, is fine, but you don't have a lot of pop there. They need their um, McDonough Girardi pairing from 2013 back. They, they need something like that. Exactly. And that's kind of what they're going to need to try and find this off season. And that's really the last thing that is missing from feeling really, really good about this team going into next season. But regardless of that, regardless if they're able to fix all of these holes by next year, you can just see it very quickly coming together now for the Rangers. And, and it was nice that out of all the chaos that could have happened from this lottery with all the upsets and the possibility of Toronto, Edmonton or Pittsburgh getting the first overall pick, it was nice that it was a team that actually could have used that pick and probably would have been in the lottery anyway in, if, in, in a normal season um, instead of... <laughs> Instead of some crazy result, you get a team that really could use that first overall pick. A few things. I did kind of want Pittsburgh to win it, to be honest with you. <laughs> We're going to get there later. Um, I wonder, too, like, <laughs> the Rangers are, are always hit with that, oh, it's good for the league when a star goes there kind of thing that makes everyone else want to wretch. The other thing, too, is, like, if they're going to start getting lottery luck, like, they're kind of the luckiest team in the league already, right? Like they probably benefit more than any other team with the exception of maybe like a Tampa or San Jose, like well-run, warm weather, perhaps no tax places. The Rangers benefit the most just by virtue of the fact of being the Rangers, right? Like Artemi yep. Panarin was going to the Big Apple. Adam Fox was able to dictate the circumstances to allow him to sign with the New York Rangers, right? Like they yep, are a Truba team too. that, yeah, that's just all, I mean, even remember Kevin yep. Shattenkirk, you forget that like he took a haircut to go there, you know, like that team is always front and center and the top choice of so many people for any number of reasons. But I mean, it's New York. It's a, it's just such an awesome place to, to live and play. So now they're start getting lottery luck to go along with that. Uh, there's going to be some teams in the league that are going to be grinding their teeth a lot. Yeah, it's it, what's going to be interesting here is it's just okay. You've got a lot of good young players. You've got some some veteran guys that are really playing well too. Zibanejad's another guy we got to mention here. Um, so the yeah. goals per game leader in the NHL yeah, last year, <laughs> exactly. Um, so they're rising, obviously. Yeah. But it's like, man, look at that Metropolitan Division, and yeah. like, who are they displacing here? Like. Pittsburgh, okay. I mean, we'll talk about them here, and and maybe there's some kind of room where they're gonna possibly start declining to some degree here. Um, but like Washington doesn't really look like they're going away anywhere soon. I mean, Alex Ovechkin's got a contract that's coming up, and that could be really interesting. But they just seem like they have a really strong base. They've got goaltending questions, but. I don't think they're going to fall off the face of the earth. Carolina looks like a team that's rising, getting better as now their offensive stars are starting to hit their stride. Philadelphia really hard to get a handle on them because you look at them and they, and you say, wow, they're really deep. They have their goalie. They were one of the best teams in the NHL uh, in the last few weeks leading up to the pause and looked great in the round Robin. But I mean, they're just like, in the playoffs one year and out the next, and they're all over the place. So it's like, what is really going to stick with that team? But um, you've, you've got some really strong established teams in that metropolitan division. So it's not obvious where the Rangers are going to rise above and how quickly that's going to happen. And hey, man, look across the river. I know things aren't going well right now, but the Devils have the top yep. pick in 2017 and 19. Oh, and P.S. they're both centers. That's probably going to get on track 
for too long. And I don't think you mentioned Columbus, which is, right. uh, yeah. you know, uh, proving to be as tough a out as there is in the NHL. So, yeah, a lot of work. Um, don't put the the first cup in now almost. We're going to be chanting 1994 soon. It's been so long <laughs> uh, since the Rangers won. But, uh, yeah, definitely on the right track. Speaking of on the right track, I mean, probably people would have been saying that of the Edmonton Oilers, of the Toronto Maple Leafs, of the Winnipeg Jets, definitely at different points in the past few years. All three of those teams lost qualifying round best of five series. We're going to talk about them all, but I want to start with this. If you were going to put your arm around one frightened fan base right now and say, take a deep breath, calm down, it's going to be all right, which one of those three are you um, trying to reassure? I think it's got to be Toronto, honestly. Um, they have the most skill. I mean, you could say Winnipeg because, all right, you know, this year, I, I just don't think that Winnipeg Jets fans are so devastated because there were so there were so many hurdles this year and the way it ended with the injuries to Line and Shifley to being such huge factors. If they had a, a won that series, yeah. it would have been just like house money, right? Like, like found money. It would have been unexpected and you would have taken it and you probably would have expected them to lose in that next round. They need to find something to improve that defense, but like there are outs there. There are reasons that you could say, ah, you know, okay, this is fine with this team on to the next year. But with Toronto, I mean, you had cup aspirations. You had at least the expectation that you would finally get out of that first series and give Tampa Bay a run for their money. Everybody was wanting Toronto to get that Tampa Bay matchup. <laughs> over the last couple of years, probably instead of Boston. And it was almost there this year. But they're the team that's just, you look at and you say, they have the most skill, right? And they have the guys that are under contract for a long time. Do they have problems? Absolutely. You need to find a way to, you know, it, it's easy to say, but you, you need to get a little tougher. You need to find a little bit more of that edge. You need to buy into defense a little bit more than than they had been and and i think they started to show it even like austin matthews was was playing well at both ends of the ice and was playing pretty physically more than we we're used to i think in that columbus series so it wasn't all bad even and you gotta point to teams like the washington capitals and i would even say the san jose sharks that for years were stacked and just couldn't get over that hurdle and were the best teams that weren't winning stanley cups Washington finally did it and won a Stanley Cup after years and years of trying different things. One of them finally worked. San Jose never did, but they did get to a Stanley Cup final and they were pushing to the conference finals a couple of times. And at that point, it's like, you know, let let the chips fall where they may, right? Like it's going to, you get to the conference final and a bad bounce could could win you or lose you a series, whatever it is. Toronto's looking for that kind of a breakthrough. And I just, I just think that if you make the minor adjustments around the stars on this team, instead of looking at it and saying, we've got to trade Nylander or Marner or, I mean, I don't understand the talk about Tavares. But Are you staying on the no trade Marner, no trade Nylander? You've long been a, I don't know why they would trade Willie Nylander guy. Yeah, I think I am. I mean, this summer is going to be interesting in that who knows what the market is going to look like? Everybody's going to be tight to the cap. You're probably going to have a number of teams that are going to be looking to do some things, but how possible is it really with everybody so tight? If the right deal came along for either one of them, I think now is the time where you explore it, but it would really have to 
absolutely blow me away. And I don't think that deal's there. So I, I would, I would run it back again and, and try and just do what you can to upgrade the second defense pair or like add another Muzzin type of guy, a defensively responsible guy and a little bit more sandpaper up onto the third and fourth lines as well. Although the fourth line was good for the Leafs, but you need, you know, how long is that going to last? I think it's those little kind of things. Those, those are attainable upgrades for this team in the off season. I don't think they need to blow it up that much. No. Um, the analogy I would make with trading Nylander or Marner, which I, for the record, am not against, but here's the issue. It's like going out and trying to buy a house in a hot market, right? Like you can't just walk into every house on the block, find a dream house, negotiate the price and say, okay, done. Here we go. We're moving yeah. into our new house. <laughs> you are at the mercy of what's available yes. and bidding wars all over the place, right? So if you could go out and for sure get precisely what Mitch Marner is worth in the form of a defenseman coming back, yeah, you probably would do that. Sure. But who knows who's going to be available, right? And they've, I, I do think they have to be ready, ready with their deposit and ready to go at a moment's notice if all of a sudden a 22 to 26-year-old right-shot guy all of a sudden falls out of favor for whatever reason with his team and can be there for, can be had for a big price. But, you know, like you said, who who knows? I mean, chances are that's not going to happen. That's how you end up with Tyson Berry because you're saying, well, it's time to move on from Kadri. We need a defenseman. You run the numbers and it's like, well, this is realistically probably the best fit and you make the trade and 12 months later, or I guess more, um, People are saying it was a complete disaster and you can't afford to have a disaster if you trade Nylander or Marner. So yep. I'm sure that is being heavily considered, but it it really comes down to not so much the least willingness to part with those players. Of, of course they would part with them if the return was right. It's just wh- who, where's the fit? Exactly. Who is that 22 to 26 year old yeah. defenseman that's going to be out there? And I'm not even convinced that that guy would be enough for a one-for-one for for Marner. I still think you'd need to add on to that because Marner is just such a a special player. It's not just the offense that pops off the page at you. He's their best penalty killer. He's one of the better penalty killers in the entire league. So, you know, I wouldn't just be like, oh, here's this in his prime defenseman with a nice contract. I'll flip him for Marner. I, I don't think that's enough. I think you'd want some other stuff around that, whether it's, futures are more likely you know another player or two that's going to help you correct what you need to correct on on this team and so that like that trade is not obvious and we're not talking about you know the los angeles kings make drew doughty available you trade marner for doughty i wouldn't i wouldn't do that i i, I wonder how many people would do that i still <laughs> i would like, still think about it rory i'm a i'm a sucker and I, that's the one i've looked at for a long time I mean, it's one of those things that's situational, though, that, yes, Marner's true value is worth more, obviously, than a 30-plus Drew Doughty. But given how desperately the Leafs need that player, and I know, you know, people take shots at uh, Drew Doughty for not being the fittest guy in the league and all that. I think if you put that guy in a situation where the juices are flowing and he's trying to win a cup with the Toronto Maple Leafs, the way he moves, like... The, how smart he is, he could be one of those guys who's a very, very good player for four more years and super useful for three more after that. It's the $11 million. It's a big hit. Like, yeah, you'd have to work so something tough. else there. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. And again, like he's got a no-move clause. Like he has to agree to all yeah, this. Yeah, he'd have to like be that. all like, in. Like this is, 
this is so pie in the sky and unlikely to happen. But that's that's the one that you point to and, and is the most interesting debate on this, I think, is because you're trying to figure out what kind of defenseman would you be ex- would you find acceptable moving Marner for? And if you're not okay with a Norris level guy like Doughty in his 30s making eleven million dollars a year for Marner, it's so hard to find another guy that fits that bill, right? Um, that you're for sure gonna feel good about. I would love to have Drew Doughty on the team. Um, I think he'd be a great fit and he makes anybody better. I'm not knocking the player. It's just where they are in their careers and what they're making on their uh, on their salary cap hits. That that's, makes it a little bit harder to swallow for me. I, I just I keep coming back to these other teams that are examples of losing and losing and losing and finally getting over the hump. And I would just I just feel better that this core of four forwards plus Morgan Riley, I just feel better about those guys eventually breaking through here in the next couple of years than I would doing something drastic like trading one of those guys for God knows what. Well, we know this. The comparisons are moving off the Taves, Kane, Hawks, the you know uh, Malkin, Crosby, 2009 Penguins teams that got all the way within three or four years too, like you said, uh, the Capitals, the Sharks. So we'll see what happens there. So that's the least. I agree with you with the Jets. It does, I mean, there's still a lot to like there, especially up front. We'll see if Vinny Hanola and Dylan Sandberg can come in and Josh Morrissey keeps getting better. Pionk, there's still some hope that that can be a real good team soon. I want to talk about the Oilers though, because I really feel like had they played 82 games and made the playoffs, this would have been viewed as a very successful year, no matter what, barring them getting swept and looking like clowns in the first round of a best of seven, we would have been like, okay, we can quiet the, when's McDavid going to want out talk. We can talk about Yamamoto and Ethan bear and how things are coming together under Holland. And yeah, they still have some goaltending issues, but, but instead They end up going into this qualifying round as the top seed in the West. They lose to the lowest seed in four games. And now all of a sudden, I feel like that foul taste is kind of back. Yeah, I mean, your comparison there off the top of if they got to the playoffs, it would have been fine unless they got embarrassed in that first round. That's what this is. They lose to a team that had zero chance of making it to the playoffs and had all these designs on winning a lottery. They were trade deadline sellers. Yeah. You know, Chicago gave up Eric Gustafson to Calgary and, and Robin Lehner to Vegas, who they're now playing in the first round of the playoffs. Um, so that's going to leave a bad taste in your mouth. For me, it, it just so much of this is goaltending. Uh, they've got to find better a better goalie. And maybe this is the offseason to do it because there's a number of guys who are going to be available in free agency, maybe a couple of more uh, in trade. Um, can they find it? Like, I don't think you can run back Koskinen and Smith again. I mean, chances are one of them gets hot during the regular season for a stretch, and then you can go to the other guy, and it worked fine for that. But in a playoff series, there's no room for error, and you need you need more of one guy that you can count on or feel better about. Even if it's still a tandem situation, you need somebody that you can feel better about than I think Oilers fans did about either of these guys um, this year. But again, you come away and you look at it and you say, was this really the year Edmonton was going to break through and go to a conference final or something like that? And I think the answer is no. They're, they're, this is the first year of Ken Holland and Dave Tippett together. Um, both are really respected and have had a lot of success in other places. 
I think some of the moves that Holland made like around the edges this year were positive. Um, but his approach is always going to be kind of the long term, not trying to fix this thing in one or even two seasons. It's bringing in the pieces that are going to make it last. And, you know, that's probably what he'll try and accomplish again this summer. They're not going to go out and make some big trade or big free agent signing outside of goaltending, maybe, that um, is going to try and fix this thing overnight. It's going to be a gradual build. And I, I just think that's the reality here. So that's why, you know, you come away, it's definitely disappointing. It's definitely a bad taste in your mouth. And there's going to be questions that are going to need answering. But at the end of the day, it's like, you know, this was never really going to be Edmonton's year anyway. Let's see how they can come back next season. I know that's not the thing that Oilers fans maybe want to hear right now. Um, but that's kind of the reality is they're still building towards better days and maybe that they can take something out of this loss against Taze and Kane and guys that have won the cup before and learn something and be better uh, defensively next year. And that really is the best thing that could come out of this for the Oilers. All right. I'm ending block one by maybe blowing your mind. I don't know. We'll see. But I'm looking at the Pittsburgh Penguins. I'm looking at Sidney Crosby acknowledging just, you know, acknowledging the reality of the situation where he has it in his career. I mean, granted, please don't go writing his obituary just yet. <laughs> no, um, no. You know, I'm listening to Jim Rutherford say changes have to be made. Now, I don't think anyone expects him to go you know, you can forget the trade Malkin. I mean, I think that is just not, it, it probably just doesn't make sense. Full stop. Certainly not training Crosby or Latang. Um, this morning they cleaned house behind the bench with the exception of head coach, Mike Sullivan, who took some heat. Uh, this is two series in a row now where the penguins have managed just one win. They were swept in 2019 by the Islanders. Um, they lost three, one in the best of five to Montreal, but I mean, played well enough to win, obviously in a lot of times, but, but didn't, I'm just looking at this as a team that clearly has one last phase to go, might need one last jolt. And Mike Sullivan was the jolt last time when he replaced Dan Bilesma. And I can't help but wonder if there's a two time Olympic uh -oh. coach who has a little history <laughs> with Sidney Crosby. <laughs> who's probably looking for a little redemptive final chapter of his own, who's probably learned from some mistakes. I'm just saying, if the Penguins start flat next year, could you see, could you see the return of Mike Babcock coaching 87 in Pittsburgh as the like, all right, we're going to do one last thing here to try and in the final window, try and win one more cup in the next, you know, one to four years is that something you think they'd ever entertain i mean why not right you're not going to bring in someone who's never coached in the nhl before yeah it's hard to imagine them bringing in the next 36 year old coach for sure yeah you're not gonna bring someone up from the ahl to coach this team i don't think you're gonna if you're gonna if you're gonna be replacing sullivan you're gonna do it with a guy who's gonna who knows how to push those right buttons and who is familiar with some of these players too and that's Babcock. That that's Babcock up and down. That's a really interesting thought. Now, you know, Sullivan wasn't let go today. I wouldn't expect that to happen in the offseason. But sure, like if you get off to a so-so start, the problem is they weren't a so-so team in the regular season this year, right? Like yeah. they were seventh best in the entire league. So you had no reason going into the playoffs to think, ah, you know, maybe Sullivan should have been let go last month or something because they're kind of backing in here. They, they were really, really good and not showing any signs of that. But 
obviously they, like there was no urgency especially in that game four against montreal just zero pushback from the penguins which is so strange to last thing you'd team. expect yeah. yeah exactly so you know maybe it is a, a kick in the butt that they'll need and and that, that's a really interesting thought there and he's the exact type of coach that i think that you'd want to replace Sullivan with if you decided that you needed to go that road all right stay tuned that's uh maybe a, a conversation for next winter uh, we'll see how things will yeah. we've got more immediate concerns though we've got summer playoff hockey to talk about rory and i are going to give you some stanley cup picks plus talk about calgary montreal and vancouver the canadian team still plugging in the 2020 stanley cup playoffs stick around lots more to come on tape to tape Hey, welcome back to Tape to Tape. Don't forget to sign up for the Sportsnet Fantasy Hockey Pool presented by Ram. Go to sportsnet.ca forward slash Ram. Over 50000 bucks in cash prizes. Also, the grand prize, you have a chance to win a 2020 Ram 15 or 2500 So again, go to uh, sportsnet.ca forward slash Ram. Get your fantasy on. If you have any faith what I believe, and you probably shouldn't based on my qualifier predictions. Here's what teams you should be investing in. Here we go, Rory. Final four. Okay. I got Tampa who won the marathon five OT opener against Columbus. I'm sticking with them, even game. with Stamkos being out for, we don't know how long and Hedman, who knows, but it was great to see him play. I got Tampa Carolina who are playing right now. Ooh. Game one against Boston. Uh, and I have to say, I didn't check the score at the break, so they could be down for nothing. I don't even know, but <laughs> I'm going Tampa, Carolina. Uh, my West pick originally was the Nashville Predators, So I have picked a team that did not make the playoffs to make the final. So I got to, I, I have to regroup here and I'm going to go with, um, Vegas and I'm going pretty chalk here. I guess I'm going to go with Vegas and Colorado. I'm going Knights bolts in the final and as i've said for years i'm just picking tampa bay year after year so i'm picking tampa over vegas tampa carolina vegas colorado final four now comes the point in the show where the guy who has picked a stanley cup winner <laughs> that has been swept not beat but swept in the first round this is unbelievable three years in a row I chicago i had to go back and look because i was like who yeah. is he picking yeah. Chicago 2017, swept by Nashville. <laughs> Anaheim Ducks 2018, swept by San Jose. Yeah. And of course, Tampa Bay Lightning 2019, swept by the Blue Jackets. So what have you got for us this year? Like those weren't crazy picks. They were favored teams. They certainly weren't, they certainly weren't game, picks right? to lose in four games in the first round. I'll tell you that. So who am I cursing this year, I guess? Uh, it's not going to do well for your bracket if that trend continues either, Ryan. I, I actually don't like how close we are here on our final four. Um, I have uh, Tampa Bay and Philadelphia in the East final. Uh, Vegas and Colorado in the West. I, I mean, that would be an, an amazing series, I think, Vegas and Colorado. Yeah. I would really, really love to see that. And then Tampa, Vegas in the final, just like you, with Tampa winning it. And that would be just... <laughs> 
an incredible fast series as well. But this was a really hard bracket to fill out this year for obviously a, a variety of reasons. But especially coming out of that qualifying round where a lot of the tough defensive teams were winning. And so I found myself really struggling with a couple of picks. Like I did pick Boston over Carolina in the first round, but in seven games, like I could see Carolina really breaking through. And and I like your pick of them going to the conference final because I had this feeling like, oh, maybe I should do something like that with Carolina. But just like I said last episode, like I just I really have a hard time buying into their goalies. And I also came really close to picking Calgary over Vegas um, in the, that second round. I just get a feeling that Calgary's got all of this. Like they've got the offense. They've got the secondary scoring on that second line too. But they are so deep on the blue line and they do have that sandpaper that's going to frustrate a lot of teams. Cam Talbot's been playing well in net too. I almost picked them. I kind of overthought myself and maybe was like, I can't keep this trend of picking losing teams going for four straight years. So I'll just pick the teams that I feel like can't lose. Um, but I get a feeling like this might be a, a path for Calgary. Like There's Dallas that, just doesn't score enough. For, no. I, so I love that first round matchup. And then after that, it's like, are they just going to be hard on a team like Vegas? Um, that might that might be a, a sneaky team to make it all the way through this year. So, all right, let's pivot then. We both have Tampa over Vegas for the Cup. I would love to see that happen for the Bolts. They've been such an exemplary organization for so long. God, when Hedman, you know, pivoted and it looked like put himself out for the next two months with an ankle injury, oh, uh, thank goodness that hasn't been the case. Touchwood, uh, just that would have just been too much to bear, I think. But um, yeah, I mean, just a a stellar organization that talk about like, just keep running it back. Um, one of these years you have to feel like they're going to break through, but we'll, we'll jump into the Canadian team talk with Calgary. Cause I did hover on them. And I have to say, I don't think I voiced this yet. I like the reseeding. I, I have to, I will acknowledge that the rigid divisional bracket relative to what I thought it was going to be like when they first introduced it in 13, 14, it has worked out better than I thought. I thought I was really going to dislike it. I, I haven't really disliked it. But now that we have this weird one-off, I do kind of like the fun of reseeding. And I do think that's the way the matchups should work. Uh, and I looked at that. I guess it's one. it would be 1-6 Calgary. 1-6? Um, yeah, Calgary, yep. Vegas in the second round. We're saying this as Calgary is... Uh, up a game on Dallas, Montreal in Vancouver will probably have one game in the books by the time most people hear this, but Calgary has already shown something. Milan Lucic is your early con Smythe winner. Uh, just like everyone predicted Dylan Duby looks awesome on that third line as well. You know, it's easy to get ahead of yourself, but there is a bit of an Oh four feel to the, to the team that, um, you know, the, the one that went with Mika Kiprusov and Jerome McGinley and Craig Conroy and, and a, you know, really, 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 um, hard, uh, feisty group. And that's funny because this is a team that was fast becoming, you know, the head of the overachieving class. And I mean, we talked to Eric Francis last week and asked him, what would it take? This was before they'd put Winnipeg out. What would it take for Calgary to really reassess what they had? Cause it felt like they were teetering on the verge of not a blow up, but hard decisions. And man, if they can, they get past Dallas and, and, you know, get into the second round and who knows, it feels like anything's in play. All of a sudden we're starting to view this team in a bit of a different light. Yeah. And, and you know, not only is it the on ice stuff that they have, but 
kind of those other factors that you talk about that maybe winning teams need. Did they lose before they won? Yeah, they they got blown up by Colorado last year in a huge eight over one upset. Um, did they deal with adversity? <laughs> they dealt with a ton of adversity this year around the whole Bill Peters uh, res- resignation fallout um, in November, um, and then they had you know they they had an interim coach who's turned out to be doing a fantastic job of keeping that room together. And a few of the players have talked about how terrific he was in, in just kind of keeping everything going. Like they didn't, after that episode, they didn't take like a massive dive, right? Like they kept it going. They were a good road team this year too. And it's just, it's all come together as the season has gone on for them. So it's all that stuff around the team as well that you, you know, traditionally think, teams need to have before they win so there's nothing that you can look at for calgary and say well they don't have this or they don't have that yet they're not perfect everywhere but no no team is it's the age of parody but calgary just seems to be hitting all the right notes right now and it's just a matter i feel very confident that they can get by dallas it's just a matter of can they get past the teams that could outskill them outscore them the the vegas's the colorado's of the world can they get by those teams like like the Tampa Bay's of the West, that kind of thing? I think they probably can. Yeah, I, I mean the defense is good enough. Talbot's been great, and they got three lines going. If Lucic and Dylan Dubé are gonna rock it on the third line, I mean, what a game you know, um, yeah. and Sam Bennett's there too. Sam yeah. Bennett is a playoff player. Like he he might take a bad penalty, and that's the thing, but he'll draw a lot and he'll he'll rough you up and. He was their leading scorer in that five-game upset last year. So he, he'll bring a little bit, too. Things all of a sudden looking pretty good for the Flames. What about the other two teams? Um, I mean, like you said, we're in the age of parity. I think both have a crack. I mean, especially Vancouver playing the defending Stanley Cup champion, St. Louis Blues. If nothing else, this is going to be a really good uh, up-close look at a championship-caliber team for this young team that has so much going for it. And the Canadians, the 24th team in the 24-team tournament, here they are. And I guess we'll start there. You know, there was a lot of talk about the best-case scenario for this team, losing to Pittsburgh and getting Lafreniere. Yes, that would have been best-case. However, if you want to feel good about what's gone on if you're a Montreal fan, you've got to look at a few things. Number one, there was only a 12% chance you are going to get Lafreniere, so it was probably a little pie in the sky. But the other thing is they're being driven by the performance of some key future players, I, I guess now and in the future, Nick Suzuki and Jesperi Kotkiniemi. And oh, by the way, at the other end of the spectrum, there was all kinds of questions around Carey Price and his more than pedestrian advanced stats the last few years. Lots of analytic-minded people saying Price doesn't deserve to be in the conversation as being one of the best goalies in the league right now. And he came out and was, you know, the the um, Ted Lindsay Hart Trophy Carey Price. I think you have to say that's reassuring to say you saw the guy who's making 10 million bucks a year for the next six years playing that way. So there's that, but mostly I really do think it's about seeing the growth of Kotkinami and Suzuki and now knowing they're going to run up against Sean Couturier and that great Philly D and um, even, you know, assuming they do go out in five or six games to Philly, that's going to be a real eye opener for those guys. Yeah. I picked Philly in this series, but. I don't think it's the craziest thing to suggest that maybe Montreal can pull off this upset too. 
Um, I wanted to talk myself into it and I almost did. Montreal's just like they were one of the better puck possession teams this year. One of the better Corsi teams. They generate a lot of shots versus what they give up at five on five. Um, they got past Pittsburgh without Thomas Tatar, Brendan no. Gallagher, Jonathan Drouin, yeah. Max Domi doing anything really. I think they combined for one or two points. They've got it. Like Gallagher, especially, he's going to start scoring, I would think. Like those guys are going to bring more in this series. I just have to believe. And then, if, like you said, if Carey Price, like if there's one thing we've learned from this, I think it's that Montreal has to limit Carey Price to like 50 starts next year or something. Because if this is what he's going to get you when he's rested, you you need to you need to be thinking about that more in the regular season that they than, than they have been and lighten his workload. Um, but they also in the regular season, like they had a lot of games that they lost by one goal or two goals with an empty netter. And those could go either way, right? And if they did, Montreal might have been closer to that playoff race and maybe we'd just be talking about them a little bit differently. I don't know if they have the depth to pull off this upset, which is why I ultimately went with Philadelphia. And it's it's also totally possible that Carter Hart matches Carey Price save for save in this series, right? Like it, he's he's that kind of a goalie. But it's just like things might fall their way here if if their if their best offensive players are just able to generate more. That might be the key to winning this series, and that's not such a crazy thing to think that could happen. After that, I don't, I don't, I don't know. We'll see. But if the kids can keep going and the veterans can turn it up a little bit. Montreal just might be a really tough out for the Philadelphia Flyers here. And so I, I think, you know, win or lose, Habs fans leave this season just with all sorts of optimism. You're still going to have a pretty good draft pick. If yeah, you still pick them in the middle series. of the first round. Yeah, sure. And and they've been drafting pretty well. So, you know, you, you feel pretty confident that you'll end up with a good player there. And they still have guys coming too. And, and you know, we've talked about center depth is not a, such a weakness for this team anymore. There are more players. You got Romanov that's going to be coming onto that blue line next year. I mean, it's just going to keep trending up for this team. And maybe it breathes a little bit more life into or optimism into Shea Weber and Carey Price in the next couple of years, too, who maybe you were a little bit worried about before all of this. So I, I think it's all great for Habs fans right now, right? Like you're just, it's gravy. And you have to be feeling so good and confident about what comes next. And again, I don't think it's crazy to think that they might be able to win another series. I assume you would say all that about Vancouver as well. And and obviously, even with a higher, more immediate ceiling, yeah. um, given Pedersen, Besser, Quinn Hughes, uh, and, and Markstrom not being lights out in round one and, and probably getting back to his usual self in round two. Yeah, they're a little further along than Montreal for sure. They've got um, their stars. They've got their stars. That's a tough matchup against the St. Louis Blues, though. And this is this is also really hard to gauge between St. Louis and Boston because they were 0-3 in that round robin and did not look good. Boston especially did not look good, but St. Louis was just not the same. And I just think you got to believe that those teams are the ones that are... They're going to know how and when to turn it on when they need to and that now they need to. Um I just when I was talking about this um, before the series got locked in, and you know the general feeling about Vancouver is pretty optimistic. But my feeling was like they just got to avoid St. Louis because that that's going to be a really tough, you know, playoff proven team that they got to now match up against. 
I don't know if Vancouver's blue line is good enough to to handle all of that. You know, it remains to be seen how much offense are going to be able to generate against that defense and, and the goaltending from Jordan Bennington. I have a hard, I have a harder time. This is crazy to say, maybe, but I have a harder time seeing a way Vancouver wins that series than Montreal beats Philadelphia. Uh, is that well, crazy to think? Well, I mean, still, I mean it, it, you're what you're wrapping yourself in if you're Montreal's Phillies and out of the blue. Sort of yeah, out of the blue team of. that, yep. you know, for whatever it's worth. I mean, they do have experience with the Voracek's and Giroux's, obviously, but they're still kind of on balance, a youngish team and, and untested yeah. in the playoffs. Yeah. And again, like, and if you're a Canucks fan, I think you can swallow that. Like if you, oh yeah, if, you if the Canucks lose, if they show well and lose in six, you are ear to ear. Absolutely. And because this year was all about getting to that next step, taking another step. Just, the goal was really get to the playoffs and try and win a game or two. And so they've achieved that. And now you're playing against the defending Stanley Cup champions. So go out, show well, and come back next year stronger. Go out, show well. That is exactly how we approach things on tape to tape. <laughs> Hopefully we show well with our cup picks. We both have Tampa. I, this might be the first time we're both aligned unless you had Tampa last year. I'm not sure. Anyways, we'll see what that does for the Bolts. Tampa over Vegas, but as always, giant uh, shoulder shrug in there. Who knows? Make sure you're checking out everything on sportsnet.ca as we roll through the 2020 Stanley Cup playoffs. All kinds of stuff from Rory up there. Thanks to our guys behind the mics. I finally just came up with that. Michael Myers and Mike Dasoni are behind the scenes guys. The video and audio production of this podcast. We'll be back, of course, next week. So check back then for more glass rattling hockey action on tape to tape.